Hello and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, the show that explores how the environment, our society and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host for this episode, Bentley Kaplan. And I will be for the next couple as well, as my beloved co-host Mike takes a much needed time off. To kick off today's show, we're going to pick up from where that very same co-host, Mike DiCibedo, and our colleague Megan Eastman left off in the last episode, called Everyone Hates ESG. Say what you like about Mike, he has a knack for titles. And while Mike and Megan gave us a very helpful and frank overview of the world of ESG investing and ESG data, on this episode we're going to get a little deeper into the mucky muck, into a specific company example to show all of the different angles it can be viewed from ranging from things like financial relevance, to impact, to climate risk. We're planning to cover a few companies in the coming weeks, but on this episode, we're going to make a start with Tesla. And then for our hot take, we'll flip things around by going down under to take a look at why the planned Barossa pipeline project for Santos Limited has suddenly hit the brakes. Thanks for sticking around. Let's do this. If you haven't had the time to listen to our last episode, that's okay. You may well want to after getting to the end of this one. But let me give you my clumsy broad strokes. Megan and Mike cover the different criticisms that have been leveled at ESG investing. And more than that, why some of these criticisms might be legitimate, while others less so. And some of that really came down to ESG data itself. To quote Megan succinct as ever, ESG data is just information. It's information about companies, It's information about people and the environment, and information about how those things intersect. And what it's for, that's up to the user. In many ways, the quote-unquote problem with ESG data that Megan is referring to is that it is huge and diverse. Stakeholders are reporting on and or aggregating a lot of different data points with different levels of emphasis. In our climate data set alone, we have over 900 different data points. Scaling that up, to broader ESG datasets across different research providers and financial markets, well, you're looking at thousands or even tens of thousands of different data points. And in this diverse and overwhelming world, you really can endlessly slice and dice all of the data that is tied to a specific company, which is a very deep and lonely rabbit hole. So we found a very helpful question is not what is the data telling us, but rather what questions am I asking of this data? What is it that matters to me and how can I use this rich data to meet this need? So today, we're going to get the house in order by looking at four very different ESG angles of the same company. So grab the nearest piece of scrap paper you can find, or try and remember where the notes app on your phone is hiding, because here they come. One, financial risk. Two, societal or environmental impact. Three, climate risk. And four, climate impact. Tesla is almost a perfect starting point for showcasing these four different sites. Not just because almost everyone, inside and outside the financial sector, has an opinion of the company, but also because it can be a bit of an enigma for ESG investors, in a way that can be hard to pin down. Let's look at some top-level assessments from our ESG data. Tesla, at the time of recording, had an ESG rating of A, which means it looks to be on top of its overall financially relevant ESG risks. It also makes these zero-emission vehicles, which could have a really positive impact on the environment, but it's also the same company that has this friction with its workforce and some maybe unexpected community conflicts. And then almost counterintuitively, the company looks to be on the wrong side of the Paris Agreement targets and could actually see a net negative impact from future climate change. So what gives? 
Well, gladly, I don't have to square that slippery circle. I get to pass all of this on to my colleague, Yu Ishihara. Yu is based out of MSCI's Tokyo office and knows the autos industry inside out. I wanted you to start us off with financial risk, the side of ESG that is best covered through our ESG rating data. And the whole idea behind this ESG rating is to analyze companies on a small number of financially relevant key issues that cover both risks and opportunities. We look at how well each company appears to be heading off these key risks or maximizing very specific opportunities compared with other companies in the same industry. And trigger warning, this may invoke haunting memories of grade school, each company ultimately ends up with an ESG letter rating from the lowest of triple C to the highest of triple A. So Tesla is currently rated A, which is around average or slightly above average if you want to get technical. But to understand the company better, you know, you'd want to dig a little deeper. Where Tesla does well is in the E or environmental pillar. And you can really get to the core of that by looking at our product carbon footprint key issue. And here we're looking at the regulatory risks and penalties that an automaker might face because of poor fuel efficiency and vehicle tailpipe emissions across its fleet. And Tesla, well, it's a pure play electric vehicle or EV manufacturer. And as such, it performs very well on this key issue. Firstly, because EVs are not subject to any such regulations currently, but also because we're benchmarking Tesla against global automakers. So I'm going to stop you for just a second there, because this is the most, yes, well, obviously moment in the episode. Enjoy it because it's not going to last for long. A lot of car companies are still cranking out large numbers of combustion engines that continue to cough out greenhouse gases. And these companies face appreciable financial risk because of low carbon regulations that are kicking in around the world. Having to weigh penalties against the costs of investing in new R&D, workforces, supply chains, and basically overhauling their manufacturing. But Tesla, like other EV companies, is kicking back on their deck chair, watching the scrambling unfolding because they are sitting on the right side of these regulations already. But the catch with ESG risk is that nailing it in one key issue doesn't tell you about the other risks that a company like Tesla is facing. Case in point is the risk stemming from poor quality control or issues related to vehicle safety. This is an area where Tesla is mired in controversies, particularly surrounding its autopilot advanced driver assistance system. And this could be cause for concern for some investors, as in addition to the company's battery electric powertrains, autopilot and semi-autonomous driving system technologies have been a, a key source of differentiation and innovation for Tesla as a company. And although these systems would you know, ultimately be designed to enhance vehicle safety, they can also raise even more concerns about the rigor of safety protocols with regards to software design. Exactly. Aside from making EVs, you probably know Tesla for the ultra-coolness of their cars. Cars that can drive themselves to an extent. And features like a polite reminder if the traffic light turns green, or even something called dog mode, which leaves the air conditioning on if you need to leave your pooch in the car while you quickly pop in to buy whatever ultra-cool accessories Tesla owners buy. But Tesla, like all of its car-making competitors, EV or otherwise, has a high bar to clear in terms of vehicle safety. Regulators are strict, recalls are expensive, and so are lawsuits. And with metrics pointing to shortcomings in safety and quality controls, this becomes a financial risk for the company. Ultimately, Tesla's ESG rating is an aggregate of the most financially relevant key issues that we see the autos industry facing. Bringing together things like product carbon footprint and product safety and quality into one overall letter rating. And this ESG rating is built around this idea of financial risk. Yes, it may be linked to a company's impact on society or the environment, but the paramount question is ultimately about how those impacts blow back on a company 
for greater or lesser financial risk. But then there are investors who are specifically interested in this impact piece itself, who want to understand what kind of positive or negative externalities a company is creating. I'm trying to look at ways in which the world is better or worse off for a particular company's products, services, or operations. So this point relates to one of the most common critiques we get when discussing Tesla and our ESG rating. And a similar sentiment has been expressed by Elon Musk as well, and that's that our ESG rating does not reflect the real-world impact that Tesla is having. To capture positive impacts, we can look at a variety of datasets, such as MSCI Sustainable Impact Metrics or SDG Alignment. And because Tesla's core products are EVs, it's not surprising to see that the company would you know, screen very well for revenues linked to positive sustainable impacts, or that the company's products show alignment with SDG 7, which is Affordable and Clean Energy, or SDG 9, um, Industry, Innovation, and Infrastructure. So yes, Tesla is making the world a better place in a measurable way. It is enabling greater use of clean energy and the infrastructure that supports it. For investors wanting to align their investments with something like the UN's Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, or other positive impact investment frameworks or regulations like the EU's Green Taxonomy, Tesla might be an option for just those reasons. But Tesla, the company with a capital C, is more than just the products it sells. An impact is something that cuts both ways, not only the positive. On the flip side, we would also look at negative impacts too, by zeroing in on our ESG controversies dataset. And this assesses, you know, allegations and involvement in any adverse impact activities, or, or basically if your company's in the headlines for the wrong reason. You know, as I mentioned earlier, Tesla's autopilot safety issues crop up here. But there are other points as well, which extend into things like corporate culture and labor relations. The company faces lawsuits filed by current and former employees for alleged discriminatory practices and harassment. And while Tesla wouldn't be the first company you know, to face such lawsuits, it certainly doesn't inspire confidence for investors looking to avoid specific negative impacts that are linked to a company's operations. And I'd also like to highlight another example, and this is from a couple years ago, um, in 2020, when local residents of a village in Berlin protested against the building of Tesla's uh, gigafactory in, in Germany over concerns that, you know, the factory could pose risks concerning wastewater disposal or jeopardize drinking water supply and, you know, negatively impact local habitats. And I think this type of case is worth highlighting because, you know, whilst Tesla and more broadly EVs, you know, they certainly drive a positive environmental impact from reducing CO2 emissions for vehicles, I think this controversy also indicates that there are potentially, you know, other environmental externalities from EV manufacturing, you know, especially if other car makers follow Tesla and become more vertically integrated in the battery manufacturing supply chain. So controversies data or something like a business activity screen can help investors to better understand negative or positive impacts that a company is generating. Tesla's gigafactories might be producing clean energy products, but at the same time consume large volumes of water, which were projected to drain local water reserves around its German facility. And even with such data to hand, the question of whether the world has a net benefit because of Tesla being around is not all that easy to answer. Because it depends on which impacts matter most to you and how much emphasis to place on different impacts. And you might end up hurting your brain if you try to figure out whether the negative impacts from a company's working conditions are offset by its zero emission technology. And that particular challenge is one that probably lies much more with investment philosophy or investment mandate rather than the available data. With two sides to Tesla's ESG story covered, financial risk and environmental or societal impact, we've got two more to nail down. And the last two sides focus on climate specifically, a topic that has gained serious traction for regulators and investors alike. First, we'll look at the type and extent of financial risk that a company faces because of climate change. 
both its direct and indirect consequences. At MSCI, we think of this in terms of a company's climate value at risk, or climate VAR, or if you really love acronyms, CVAR. In simple terms, it's about positive or negative financial impacts that come about through changes in climate-related policy, think carbon taxes, technology, think upsides from renewable energy, and physical climate risk, think factory damage from hurricanes. And through these channels, companies may be seeing their enterprise value rising or falling over long time horizons. Here's you to break down CVAR for Tesla. So given Tesla's EV technologies are all about mitigating climate change risks, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if most people assumed that Tesla could face minimal financial risk related to climate change. Or, you know, possibly even be a beneficiary as they're sort of a standard bearer for, you know, clean technology. But maybe not as intuitive as that we also model the potential risks from policy-related costs or physical climate hazards. And when we take the potential technology-driven upsides for Tesla and weigh them against the combined policy and physical climate risks, the company actually sees a net negative impact, mostly because the company's assets face risks like coastal flooding or extreme heat. And to give an example, Tesla's factory in Shanghai is located a few kilometers off the coast of the East China Sea. And so climate change-induced rising sea levels could you know, potentially pose flooding risks in future years that could result in significant costs not relating not only to repair and replacement of assets, but potential lost revenues as well. So Tesla is producing zero-emission vehicles, technology which may see the company benefiting from rising demand for EVs. But like almost any other company, Tesla is a company with actual assets, factories in this case. And it doesn't matter how climate-friendly its products are, because physical climate hazards make no such distinction. For the company's Shanghai Gigafactory, being just a few kilometers inland from the East China Sea means that coastal flooding may become an increasing financial risk. And this is what MSCI's climate risk is all about in our four-sided ESG puzzle. Understanding what future climate change impacts, both direct and indirect, will mean for a company in terms of financial upsides or downsides. The last piece of this four-sided puzzle is about flipping that idea on its head. Asking what a company's activities will mean for future climate change, its so-called climate impacts. The question of what a company's total operations, the entirety of its scope one, two, and three emissions, means for a world that is trying to cling to an increasingly slippery Paris Agreement. It's not only about whether a company's products are energy efficient, or whether it's using renewable energy at its office buildings, it's about its upstream supply chains and its downstream distribution networks and the lifetime emissions of its products. And we measure that using our implied temperaturized metric. Or, here comes an acronym, ITR, which takes a carbon budgeting approach and looks at what would happen to global temperatures decades from now, in 2100, if all companies were to either over or undershoot their carbon budgets by the same amount as the company in question. So Tesla's ITR is currently 2.5 degrees, slightly above the two degrees target laid out in the Paris Agreement. And again, this might seem counterintuitive given the potential of EVs to mitigate future climate change. But the answer, without getting too technical, lies in a holistic assessment of Tesla's emission profile and its current lack of a net zero emissions target. So, let's get into that. Tesla's EVs certainly don't have tailpipe emissions. But their manufacturing of EVs and components like battery cells does generate greenhouse gas emissions, part of Tesla's scope 1 and 2 emissions. Adding on to that are the company's upstream supply chain, which depends on things like mining for minerals for those batteries, and their transportation, which are comprising the company's upstream scope 3 emissions. And when we add all these emission sources together, and combine them with the company's emission reduction targets, or lack thereof, we end up with an implied temperature rise that is not aligned with the Paris Agreement. 
Right, so Tesla's total emissions, if left unchecked, look to be headed above a two-degree future, an important line for many investors. And getting to that number through our implied temperature rise metric is a complex and quantitative journey. But even a sophisticated model is never going to give you an all-in-one solution. For one, our implied temperature rise metric does not include avoided emissions, which will matter for some companies and industries more than others, particularly if a greater uptake of something like EVs means that fewer people are driving combustion engine vehicles. But as we've seen for so many areas of ESG data, that gap is unlikely to stay unplugged for all that long. And the key to staying oriented in this ESG world is knowing how to ask the right questions, the kind of questions that turns an ESG enigma like Tesla into clearly defined angles of the same company. So overall, I think Tesla's a great company to talk about because you know whether it's deserved or not, it's definitely one of the most controversial names in the automobile industry. And it's certainly a company on which investor opinion can you know vary across the whole spectrum. And so by taking this sort of 360 degree view of Tesla, you know, through various ESG data and models, you know, it can really give insight into maybe, you know, why there is this spectrum of opinion and also how one company can be, you know, so many different things to different investors with different mandates. And so utilizing all these tools can show that there is much more to be gleaned than from, you know, any single assessment or even just a headline letter rating. And this is particularly helpful to understand the potentially less intuitive risks associated from the growth and increasing vertical integration in the EV manufacturing business model. You know, whether it's understanding potential financial risks across different E, S, and G key issues, or understanding negative impacts through controversies, potential hidden externalities associated with climate change, you know, despite Tesla's clean tech-driven products. Looking at all of these aspects can help investors understand the depth of issues that are associated with Tesla's business model beyond just being a clean tech car maker. In our next segment, we're going to leave the complicated world of ESG puzzles behind us. And we're going to head to Australia to take a look at a story that's unfolding for Santos Limited, an oil and gas company that both extracts oil and gas and converts it into liquefied natural gas, or LNG. Santos is one of Australia's biggest local suppliers of LNG. And the company was actually looking to grow. At its main facility in Darwin, on Australia's north coast, Santos was planning to decommission its existing subsea gas pipeline and to build a brand new 260-kilometer pipeline, its so-called $3.6 billion Barossa project. But, as Gabriella de la Serna told me in her first appearance on the show, construction hasn't quite gone to plan for Santos. Things have gotten a little complicated. To construct this pipeline, you've got to do subsea drilling, and that's obviously a lot of work. Now, Santos was going to be drilling in the Timor Sea, which is 100 kilometers north of the Tiwi Islands, inhabited by the Tiwi people, an Aboriginal Australian group. Now, some of the Tiwi objected to the drilling, saying that the company had not properly consulted them, and also that should this project move forward, it would have long-lasting and negative impacts on the local ecosystem. On the 21st of September, a federal judge ultimately sided with the Tiwi people, finding that the Australian offshore oil and gas regulator had failed to assess whether Santos had consulted with everyone affected by the proposed drilling and gave the company two weeks to hold all drilling operations in the area. Right, so Santos has had to hang up its drilling equipment for now. And finding yourself on the wrong side of local communities is proving to be a more and more reliable route to key business risks, especially for companies undertaking large-scale construction or extractive activities. For Santos, the costs associated with suspending such a huge project 
will be considerable and ongoing. And if its current appeal of the decision drags on or is unsuccessful, the company will have harder questions to answer from its investors. But it could be worse. Almost exactly two years ago, I spoke with Sam Block on the show about Rio Tinto. After the company had destroyed a 46,000 year old Aboriginal heritage site in the Dukin Gorge in Western Australia. In that case, there were much clearer signs of disregard for community interests and a bunch of executive resignations and extensive hand-wringing followed. The company's activity led to more than just pure financial risk, but also threatened the company's social license to operate, the foundation on which so much of its business is built. And in this case, to be fair to Santos, the company has not destroyed culturally significant sites as part of its Barossa project. In its own defense, Santos has said that the Tiwi Land Council was consulted in 2018 by ex-project partner ConocoPhillips. And we may see further details emerging from the case about the specifics of who was consulted when and who consented and what authority was in the mix. But for now, I pushed Gabriella a little further on how this event ties back to Santos's ESG ratings, to our ESG understanding of its financial risk. We look at this risk, that is the risk of interrupted operations through our community relations key issue. Santos is doing a little worse than average. And we can say this by looking at three broad questions. First of all, what business is the company in? Are these general business segments particularly associated with things like ecosystem or community livelihood impacts? For Santos, like most of its upstream oil and gas peers, that's a yes. But then we also look at the company's internal practices and commitments. For Santos, we did not find any public disclosures about refraining from operating in protected areas or being fully aligned with uh, the UN's free prior and informed consent principle. So when we look at the third question, which is how is this translating out in the real world or outside of our model, we look at whether a company like Santos is facing any controversies. Things like lawsuits, media reports that may point to negative outcomes from the company's activities. And for Santos, in addition to the case brought by the Tiwi Aboriginal group, we find two further cases, both related to extractive operations planned by the company. Ultimately, the judge's decision to temporarily shut down Santos' Barossa project is a complex one. But whatever the outcome of Santos' appeal, the case is a good illustration of why extensive community engagements and thorough consultation processes can help to head off these types of risks in the long term. So it's time to close out the episode, but the story for ESG investors is very much ongoing. For Santos and other extractives or construction companies, the nuances of engagement in complex and dynamic communities goes much further than a compliance-driven approach. Even though Santos' project in the Timor Sea apparently took more care to get local buy-in than Rio Tinto did in the Jukun Gorge, its approach was still found wanting. And teasing apart the external impacts of a company like Santos, on communities and the environment, from the ESG factors that link to its financial risk, is becoming an increasingly pressing challenge for investors. We had a very thorough look at these types of differences and more for the EV producer Tesla, where four broad categories, remember your scribble piece of paper, financial risk, impact, climate risk, and climate impact, can give four very different views of the same company. And building on our previous episode, it's becoming clearer that a shortage of ESG data is not going to be a problem. But deciding on what questions to ask of that data is mattering more and more for companies, for investors, and for regulators. In the next few episodes, 
we'll bring on some more of our awesome analysts to cast big global companies in these varying ESG lights to show the breadth and depth of differences that they see on a day-to-day basis. And hopefully we'll leave our listeners with a much sharper idea of the landscape of ESG investing and ESG data. And that is it for the week. A massive thanks to you and Gabriella for their take on the news with an ESG twist. Thank you very much for tuning in. I know you're missing Mike already, and don't worry, so am I. But we'll have him back in action in a few weeks, so dial back that anxiety for the moment and guide your energy towards something more constructive, like, say, subscribing to the show, or giving us some stars on your platform of choice, or even better, letting us know what you thought of this episode and what you'd like to hear more of. For now, take care, enjoy the weekend if it's anywhere within reach, and I'll talk to you again next week. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc. subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research, LLC, a registered investment advisor and the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.